Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. I get to today keep us moving down this, down this road of, of looking at grace in Scripture. Uh, we, we're in this series we're calling Grace Canon where we're taking the canon of Scripture, uh, this really the, the 66 books of the Bible, and we're just going through kind of selectively as our teaching team is picking out different, different authors who teach on grace, different ways that grace is understood, but just kind of to give us a full framework for how we're to understand and receive this thing called the grace of God. And so I get to, uh, I guess I volunteered to take on this kind of task of preaching Grace from Paul. Um, now, if you're new to, to the Christian faith, you might be looking at your Christian, Christian index, at your Bible index, <laughs> and you're thinking, now, we taught on James, I see James. We taught on uh, John, I see John. We taught on Luke, I see Luke. You know, Pastor, I don't see the book of Paul, so I don't know what you're teaching. Now, but so, so Paul, that was my attempt at being funny. So Paul is... Uh, is, is, is the author, not, no, doesn't have a letter named after him, but he's the author of, of almost half of the New Testament, right? Thirteen letters that we get uh, access to as Scripture. We get to kind of get a mind into the, the heart and, uh, and mind of God for the early church through this apostle Paul. Um, and, and, and in a way, uh, we're actually reading somebody else's mail. I think it's important to to notice that and kind of recognize that. Like Paul is a pastor writing pastorally to other churches, dealing with situations that we're not necessarily aware of, dealing with social kind of things, ethnic things, kind of just stuff, right, that's happening in a culture that we're very far removed from. And so, uh, you know, we can, we can read the passages, of, you know, the letters of Paul, but I think it's just kind of important to recognize, hey, for, these are letters written to addressed people, real people who lived long ago, who, who really did have a faith in Jesus. Um, but we, it's important to take into context, you know, what was the occasion and what were the kind of things that were being addressed that were happening in that day, and then how does it apply to me in my world, like, to take that bridge back. And so... So Paul, it's a big deal. Um, he wouldn't, I don't know. He, he, he had this really incredible uh, story. And just, just to give you a little bit of a, is there any way, that, are, we, are we still waiting on? Yeah. All right, no worries. All I had was just like a, an old icon, icon of Paul, like just to give you something. So Paul was this guy. Uh, he was raised Jewish, zealous for the traditions of his ancestors, um, which, which really meant that, that we, that the people of God, the, the Pharisaic kind of class was in charge of, of creating, kind of enf- enforcing the law that was there, and then also creating kind of additional policies and parameters to keep a tight obedience to the law, to the Torah, to the way of God and his interaction with Israel. There we go. It's really worthwhile, huh? This is Paul. Probably not what he looked like, but anyways, uh, 
and, and, and so, so Paul is, is kind of growing in this, in this embracing this role as, as a Jew, as a, ra- as a radical Jewish Pharisee, using violence if necessary to snuff out any idolatry, any disobedience to the law, anything that would come against God kind of occupying his people in the first century. Uh, and so, so we see Paul in Acts 7 kind of giving hearty approval of the stoning of Stephen, the, the martyr who, who was simply preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. Paul says he was, he was present and gave hearty approval of this murder of this man Stephen. Uh, because again, he, he's, he's taking the law to the point where idolatry must be snuffed out. It must be destroyed. And so, so violence is, is completely legitimate means, right? Uh, if, you, if, you, if you read back to Numbers 25, uh, I wasn't going to mention this, but it's a radical story. And I think Paul actually, there's implications in the way he refers to his past life that he's actually inspired by the zeal of this man named Phineas. Uh, Phineas was a man in Numbers 25 who, with the, the, the immorality that's rampant in Israel, really just a lot of sleeping around with foreign women and uh, in broad daylight, Phineas takes a spear and kills two people in the act. In the act, right? Uh, in front, it's, it, so he, he, that's the zeal of the Lord. Psalms 106 says, the zeal of Phineas was credited to him as righteousness. So that's like, right, we, we, that phrase we use, Paul picks that up in, in Romans, right, where the, the, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. But we see this, this, this resolve to, to, to live holy and zealous and blameless before God that, that needs to be obeyed, you know, where there's an obedience to the law. And so this is kind of Paul's world and he's, he's traveling to this city called Damascus and he gets struck by a blinding light that knocks him off his horse. And it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, he knows that this voice is the voice of, of Yahweh, who he's worshipped his whole life. But he also knows that this voice is the voice of Jesus, the Messiah, who he had he'd completely written off. He had completely walked, he had completely thought that Jesus was the, the enemy. The movement of, of Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, was to be just killed. That was the killing of Stephen. But he's blinded by the glory and the reality that Jesus is the Messiah that Israel has longed for. He didn't convert to this religion called Judaism, to this religion called Christianity. No, Jesus was just the fulfillment of everything that he had given his life to zealously fight for. Jesus had died for on the cross. Jesus stepped in front of Phineas' spear, right? And he took the punishment, right? Jesus took the punishment that, that, that was rightfully due to sin. Like, I think we can read the Phineas story if you've ever read it. If you do, like, brace yourself. This isn't, this isn't PG. Uh, but, but Phineas t- t- kills these people as, a, as an act of God. Jesus says, no, Father, kill me so that they might live. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so Paul is radically, 
His everything in his mind is, is completely torn down and rebuilt with Jesus as the fulfillment of Israel's scriptures. Jesus as the fulfillment of everything that he's hoped for and longed for. And it's, it's a, it's just, it's, I think it's hard to imagine how radical of a, of a change of, of heart and thought this required for Paul. In fact, he withdrew to Arabia, it says, for three years, I think, to really just kind of sort out, like, how did this even happen? Like, how did I miss this? Did, you know, this is what happened to me in this Damascus experience. Like, just trying to make sense of it, right? We can kind of gloss over that this was a real man. <laughs> this is a real dude who, who we read about through letters. Um, but he, uh, he had a real story, a real past, and a real... He didn't lose his zeal or his passion. It was just completely recalibrated to follow the way of Jesus. So, so I think what I want to do, right, Paul ends up using this word charis, which is what we most translate grace. He uses it over a hundred times in his, in his 13 letters. So it would be uh, just foolish for me to try to kind of go through a hundred different ways that Paul uses this one word. But I, I, I want to just kind of land us in this passage in Titus 2, where, um, where Paul kind of lays out, I think, a real helpful framework from how we are to understand the centrality of grace in the Christian life. So I'll read through this passage for us. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. That's everyone. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Right? Paul is encouraging Titus, this pastor, on this island called Crete to do this. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities and to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. And in a lot of ways, he's actually just describing the demeanor and the disposition of Jesus. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. I think actually he's describing himself but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified being made right with God by his grace we will be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Wow. Really, this is, this is, I'm just going to kind of walk through some of this, but this is a passage just to be kind of sat in and like just soaked in for a long time. Like there's so much that, that, that this is saying for us as a church. What I want to do uh, really today as I was kind of preparing it, just this refrain from this amazing grace came back in my head. Uh, so these are, these are two verses from this song, Amazing Grace, and I think it kind of captures the, the comprehensive nature of grace. 
It says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. It's the beginning, it's the middle, it's the end. The, the life of the Christian is a dependence, a neediness for the grace of God. Like we never graduate from like, oh yeah, I was saved by faith or by grace through faith and now like, now I, I'm going to have that foundation but now I'm going to do my own thing. Grace is the, is, the, is the air we breathe as Christians. Like it's, it's what saves us, it's what renews us, it's what, it's what launches us and empowers us into a life that we could never have lived apart from it. So what I want to do is, uh, is just to kind of take that first section of, I'm going to skip over this. This first section, Titus 2, 1, 11 through 14, Merrily read it uh, for our prayer. It, it really does, a, I think, a, a really great job of capturing kind of the essence of what Paul's getting at when he uses this word. Um, real quick, outside of, of Paul's usage of this word charis, this is a popular word. Like, this is an everyday word for the Roman culture. It's actually a word that just describes this kind of gift-giving, reciprocal, I give you a gift, and then you give me a gift, and then, and then there's this, like, I, have, I, I give you a gift, and it, it gives me an advantage, because now you see me in a good light, and then you'll do me a favor later, and it's this kind of back-and-forth sort of thing. This, this chorus is given selectively, strategically, for your own advancement. It's, it's given so that you can actually climb whatever sort of ladder you can. It's, it's given discriminately. And this is how we give gifts, essentially, right? Around Christmas, we don't give gifts to everyone. We can't. We give gifts selectively. We give gifts discriminately. We give gifts to people we love and we know and we want to build a relationship with. What Paul's saying in this first verse here is he's saying, God actually is giving this gift because he wants to build a relationship, but not just like selectively, but with everyone. And this is offensive. It's offensive to the Roman mind because, because wh- why, why would you cross those, social, those, those strict social boundaries? Right? Paul prays, or he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but there's one in, in Christ Jesus. These were all major social boundaries that he's eliminating in, in Christ. He's saying, no, there's... There's the social implications of this grace message that Paul's preaching is that all of these kind of societal like uh, boundaries or, or markers of identity and worth and value and like your education or whatever whatever things you can say this is what makes me worth something it's like no it's all wiped away and this grace has appeared for salvation to all men so just to, just to say that includes that includes you. Uh, like, if, if you've ever written yourself off, like, I, I, I just, I think I'm, I'm kind of just so messed up, or, or maybe I've abused the grace of God so much that I just don't know that this grace can really reach that far. I think, I think it can. 
really, I think God is, God is, is committed to his grace being so much bigger than your issues. It's so much bigger than your sins. It's so much bigger than your shortcomings. Because the God of the universe is saying, no, my grace is going to reach to all humanity. That I have a desire to have covenant relationship, not just with the Jewish people, which is why it would have been offensive to them to think that this grace for salvation is extending everywhere. But this grace, God's saying, no, it's, it's bigger than you. It's for all of humanity, for salvation, which would, kind of by default, require that you need something to be saved from. If you're to receive this gift that the king of the universe is offering, you need to actually recognize that you have something that you direly need to be saved from. Otherwise, why, why, why receive the gift? And so in order to receive this gift that's being offered, it actually needs to, there needs to be a recognition that I need it. Like, I actually need this gift that's being offered. So, so the grace of God has appeared. That's the word, like, epiphany. There's been an epiphany, and the grace of God has just appeared. The lights have been turned on. The Son of God... The eternal Son of God has been manifested into the world. He's been born by the Virgin Mary into the world, bringing salvation to all men. Now this, this grace, the gift of, of the Son, the gift of Jesus, it saves us. Right? We talk about that the nations would be saved, that, that all would come to the knowledge of God. There's, this, there's a light bulb turning on in our, in our heart to recognize our sin and rebellion and to recognize the, 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 the saving hand of God, and to say, God, I, I recognize my need for you. I'm a broken sinner. I need your restoration. I need your grace. Because apart from me, I can do nothing. So there's grace in, in the moment of salvation, in the, in, the, in the faith that we say, Jesus, you've done for me what I can never do for myself. You died the death I deserve to die in my place. I put my faith in what you've done for me. It's your righteousness, not mine. But then this, this grace that God gives us in the Son, in Christ, does something. This is what I want to get at. And this is what I think it's important for us as Christians, if, 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 you, if you would consider yourself a Christian, to be able to understand and to walk in. And I think it's in Paul's heart all along. He says this grace is instructing us. This grace is training us. This grace is parenting us. That's really the word. It's, it's, it's as one would instruct a child. This grace is, is parenting us into a new way of being human. Like, that's, that's what it is. Like, we have, we have kind of whatever way you grew up, whatever things you learned, whatever kind of best practices, this grace of God is training you in a new way to be human. So, on that note, right, training, uh, if, I were, if I were to try to run a marathon tomorrow, I physically c- probably couldn't do it. I, I've, not, I've, I've run here and there, but I just don't have the stamina. I haven't built up the, the, the strength to do that. Uh, and so I can try really hard, but I haven't trained for it. And so there's just the, the, the likelihood is just very low. If I'm going to 
try to play, I don't even know, like Bach or, 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 or Mozart, and I don't know music. I can try, but it's going to be off. I can't even read the notes. Like, how could I ever play? I haven't trained for it. So sometimes I think we try to live our Christian life as if it's just about, we just need to try. Rather than recognizing that the grace that God's giving us is actually to train us. It actually is like as if, if I'm lifting weights. I can't just start with, like Anthony, with a 450-pound deadlift. Like, I need to, like, I need to build up to that. I need to grow in grace. I need to, I need to actually submit to a, to a, a soul-training disposition where I'm finding myself in rhythms and patterns and routines and habits that actually put me in a place to be able to receive the training nature of grace. Which is much more than just trying to receive. John Ortberg uh, writes on this. He's a great author. Recommend him to you. He says, you must arrange your life around certain practices that will enable you to do what you cannot do now by willpower alone. And that's what, that's what discipline is. That's what the spiritual disciplines are. Whatever that kind of list is. It can really be anything, but it's this, it's this thing where right now I can't do it, but I'm going to discipline myself to do certain things to receive a grace to be able to do things that I couldn't do right now just by trying so that could be, you know, for example, I'm going to train myself in the, in the practice, in the, in the spiritual discipline of reading the scriptures daily so that I can actually know the heart and mind of God. Where if I just try right now, I can't, like I can, I can ask God, but I don't know the scriptures, Right? But, but if I train myself in the mind of God, in the word of God, then I can actually get to a place of, of being familiar with, with the moving parts and metaphors and movements throughout Scripture so that I can do what I otherwise wouldn't be able to do just by trying. It goes with all the disciplines, right? And sometimes it's just the discipline of sleep. Like the spiritual discipline of getting sleep. Like we, we, that's a super spiritual thing. I don't know if you recognize that. I, I, I have a hard time with it sometimes because it's not, it doesn't feel like productive. But it puts me in a place of being able to receive a grace and a gift of recognizing that it all doesn't hang on my shoulders. That the world isn't, isn't, isn't built for me. But I'm actually meant to be a gift to the world and I need rest to do that. So there's a lot to be said there. We're going to keep moving. All right, so this, this, this grace is an instructing grace. It's a training grace. It's a parenting grace because the grace that saved you is unto something. Like God has rescued you, but he wants to renew you and, and show you a new way to be human. And that takes learning. That takes growing. That takes development. So, what does it train us to do specifically in this passage? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, training us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Now, this is 
amazing. To deny, right? To say, to say no to. Like, I'm just going to say no to these things that I, I actually have something in me that's drawn to them. I actually want to convince myself that this, that this thing is okay. Actually, I want to convince myself that, that this thing that, that in the heart of God just breaks us. I want to, I want to, I want to like believe something in me that, that, this, that this desire, that this action, that this thought, that this feeling is legitimate and, and God-honoring. Even when, it, even when it's not. So this grace instructs me to deny. It's actually teaching me to say no. I, feel, I recognize that. I, I, I feel myself wanting to be convinced of that. But this grace is saying, no, you, that's not the way of God. That's not God's heart. That's not God's design. That's, that's just not what, what the, way to, the way to flourish as a human. Right? In, in, order, in order for this to be the case, uh, there's, there's a sense in which I don't get to determine uh, right and wrong. Right? I, don't, I don't get to be the one who gets to say whether my desires are legitimate or not. Even if they're real and, they, and they're real feelings, I'm not the one who's ultimately the, the authority to, in which to say whether or not these things lead to life. Uh, that's, that's, that's God because he's the one who saves and so, um, you know, God determines what those desires are, and we submit to, to them. Because his teaching, he's teaching us by his spirit and by his grace a new way to be human. Which means that we don't know any other way to be human. Like, this is just my experience. And he's teaching us a new way. He's, he's showing us by his grace a new way to live. And, and, and giving us just a grace to be able to say no. As much as I'm tempted, as much as, I'm, as, much as I, I want to feel like that's what I should do, God's giving us a grace, even now, to say no to those things. And I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, 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 there's so many lists in Scripture that you can kind of point to, but there, it's, just, it's just actually yielding before God in, in, your, in your spirit, in your heart, as you read Scripture and just say, God, your way is higher than my way. I actually want you to show me your way. And I yield because your way is better. Because you're actually showing me the way to life. So I'm going to turn. I'm going to deny. And I'm going I'm to live this way. Which is the next, the next thing, right? This grace is instructing us. It's training us to say no. It's all this world right here. I'm just going to say no to that. Not just once, but again and again. Every time as it comes up, I'm going to say no. And I'm going to say yes to life. I'm going to say yes to live. And that word live is, is sozo. That word live is to save, to heal, to deliver. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, word, that word live is actually the freedom that Christ set us free for. <laughs> A life that's actually alive to God. A life that's actually aware that there's a better way to be human and it's by following Jesus. But it's not just by like trying to earn some, you know, like some, some standing before God by, by living differently. 
It's the grace that you stand in, accepted by God, not by your own works, but by the, the works of Jesus, that actually enables you and empowers you to live differently, to live sensibly, righteously, godly in the present age. That is really, in Paul's language, the evil age. It's, the, it's, the, it's not the age to come. Not the age where God's kingdom is reigning and ruling in all the earth. But it's the present age where the world would try to convince you to embrace the desires that, that, are, that are just crooked within you. And so God's inviting us into life, but he's also giving us grace to live into the life he's calling us to. Again, this is all in the context of training. And so we're putting ourselves in a position to be able to receive the grace that says it's not about me trying harder, but it's about a gift that God's already given, and yet training myself to, 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 to receive this grace continually. And so the third kind of piece, it, it instructs us to deny, it instructs us to live, and it, and it instructs us to look with expectation. Like there's this, there's this hopefulness about grace because it's unto something. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a climax here. There's, a, there's an ending to the story. So it instructs us to look with expectation for the, for the reappearing or the appearing of the glory of God, of the great God and Savior Christ Jesus, notice here, Paul's actually saying okay, pretty explicitly now in, in his later letters, our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Like he's, he's just, there's, there's not really a lot of like moving it around. Jesus is the God and Savior who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds or zealous to do what is good. There's, oh man, there's, you see where it says he gave himself for us to redeem us from every law of this? Like that's actually just kind of a, a rephrasing of this grace that God's given in the, in the first verse. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. And it says he gave himself. Like that's what the grace of God appearing is. It's the gift of himself to the world. It's the gift of his of not just this thing, this abstract thing that he's giving, like a, like a, like a, like a benefactor. He's giving his own life. Remember, just as, just as uh, I was saying earlier, where Jesus takes the spear of Phineas for us. He's giving himself. So that we would look with expectation for his reappearing. So, so real quick, as we kind of think through what, what, where this hits us, I want to just ask, what does it look like to continue to receive grace? To stay dependent on the grace of God? It's easy, I think, to, to just kind of bifurcate or divide up our, our life with God. Like, I'm saved by grace. Like, it's this gift. It's, it's not my righteousness, but Christ's righteousness that God sees. That I'm... That I'm you know, called a child of God, not because of what I have done, but because, well, because what Christ has done for me. It's all like kind of front-end stuff. But 
but what, is, what does it look like to continue to receive this grace throughout the life with God? So I'll just give you kind of a few, a few things to think through on this. Uh, so it looks like stopping and receiving what's already been given. It looks like stopping and receiving what's already been given. Because God is a generous God. His nature is to be gracious. And that grace manifests itself through, through a giving of, of love where we feel unloved. Through a giving uh, and an affirmation of your identity when we feel like we're worthless. You know, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a giving of all these things that are found in Christ that we feel like somehow we get back into this thing where I need to earn it or I need to, I need to like deserve it. Like, no, that's the point. You don't deserve this. You can't earn this. But God goes out of his way and, and reaches out this gift of life to rescue you and to renew you unto a life that looks fully human, reflecting the image of God in Jesus. It looks like recognizing that the same grace present in forgiving you is present to renew you. It's the same God. It looks like setting up practices in our lives, habits, disciplines that put us in a place to receive grace. Now, there's a whole world of thought kind of behind this. Uh, but whatever, whether or not you're pre- you have like spiritual disciplines that you find yourself regularly doing, I would just encourage you to start. Like if you have, if you have like other than like this actually coming to this meeting space is a spiritual discipline. It's a regular routine, pattern, habit of formation where we worship God, we hear his word, we receive grace in that. But what else throughout your week are you setting yourself up for success? How else are you setting yourself up to train your soul to receive this grace that God's already giving? We can find ourselves so busy and so caught up in life that we get no reprieve, that we get no kind of breath. The the spiritual discipline of, of keeping a Sabbath is a way to actually train your soul in receiving grace, that this world isn't about, isn't dependent on your work. That this world isn't dependent on you figuring it all out. That this world isn't dependent on you solving all of life's issues. Because God's in control and he fights for you. God never sleeps. God never sleeps so that we can Okay, so a lot to say there. Just finally, though, just to stay needy. To stay needy. Uh, This is the posture of the Christian life. Dependent on God. God, I need you. Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. Bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. There's just this inevitable posture of the Christian life that says, God, I need you. I'm dependent on you. When I am weak, then I am strong because your grace is sufficient for me in my weakness. So we need to stay needy. And this is all unto a renewed life, a life that 
that God's leading us into to teach us a new and better way to be human, fully alive. To kind of catch everything in a quote, um, this is N.T. Wright in his biography of Paul. He says this, Here's the point of Paul's vision of human rescue and renewal, salvation in traditional language. Those who are grasped by grace in the gospel and who bear witness to that in their loyal belief in the one God focused on Jesus are not merely beneficiaries or recipients of God's mercy. They're also agents. They're poems in which God is addressing his world. And as poems are designed to do, they break open existing ways of looking at things and spark the mind to imagine a different way to be human. That is what Paul's gospel and ethics are at their heart all about. 